what was the rock bottom point for you? So here I am now, guys, with my seventh wife. Mm. And I moved to the Western Slope of Colorado. I walked away from the NFL. I opened up a restaurant with my name on it. I have my seventh wife. I'm cheating on her. My second oldest son came up to live with me because I abandoned all of my other kids. And by this time, I have seven kids. My son came. He was going to college. I decided to spend time with him, put him in college there. And he reached out to me one day because he needed to go see his mom because his mom's dad just died of cancer. And I told my son, well, give me a call later on tonight and I'll see what I can do because his car broke down. And my son gives me a call. But since I'm being a whore and get ready to have sex with another woman, I don't answer the, the phone on my call, the call on my cell phone for my son. So my son ends up having to go take a motorcycle across the mountain. And that very night, my son got killed. My son got killed by a drunk driver that night. Everyone, I'd like to welcome you back to the Rooted in Christ podcast. My name is Eric Stevens, and I'm the founder of Redwood Christian Ministries, and I am joined by a very special guest today. We have on the show Vance Johnson. He is one of the greatest Denver Broncos players of all time, um, number 16 on the list, if I do, if uh, if I've got that number correctly. So uh, I want to welcome Vance to the show. Vance was a part of those. Uh, if you are from Cleveland, we'll start here. <laughs> Vance was a part of those um, those Denver Broncos teams that just completely crushed the hopes and dreams of the city. So if you remember the drive and the fumble, <laughs> this man was uh, was on was on those teams. Vance, I'd like to welcome you to to the podcast. Thank you so much for for joining us today. How are you doing today? I am blessed, brother, and thanks for reminding me of uh, that play, the drive, because. The night before, can I share this real quick about Go what ahead. happened the night before that game? Go ahead. So the night before that game, and obviously that was the uh, AFC Championship game, we were staying in a hotel downtown, and many Cleveland Brown fans were driving around the hotel all night long, honking their horns and screaming because they wanted to keep the Denver Broncos up. And they were even yelling sometimes, saying, we're going to ever kill you, Denver Broncos. So we woke up that next morning and had to take another nap. <laughs> So I for so, the sake, so thanks for the fans because you know what I tell people stay loyal to your team. I tell people all over the country, you know, stay loyal to whatever team you are because guess who our real friends are when you play in the NFL? Not necessarily always your teammates because you actually compete against your teammates. Mm. It's the other teams that have guys that you end up hanging out with off season. So I have a lot of Cleveland Brown fans that I uh, ball players actually that I used to love off the field back in the day. So God bless you guys. That um that brings me actually to my very first question. Um, because you guys really, I mean, people still cry about that in Cleveland. So for this, I mean, are you guys gonna like apologize for what you did to us? Like, are you gonna just like send in a, a note, maybe like some candy, some flowers? Like, is there gonna be any kind of like retribution passed out coming from you guys? <laughs> so so what he's asking everyone is, are we gonna apologize for winning? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta think about that one. Uh, let's see. If Jesus apologized for winning, then I apologize for winning. <laughs> I'll leave it. I'll leave it there. <laughs> it is um, it is rare that I am speechless, so I'm not gonna touch that one because um, I'm not asking Jesus to apologize for anything. I feel like as a pastor, that would be extremely inappropriate. So <laughs> yes, and we don't want him to apologize for winning because you know what he said. He is the victory. So talk to him. Talk to him. Yes. No, I, yes. We, I, yes. Amen to that. I'm going to let that go. <laughs> oh. 
Vance, thank I you. I did that on purpose, Pastor, because I wanted to kind of put that wall up right there. <laughs> oh, you oh, you won that round. You won that round for sure. And, and Actually, the, the, no, you won the round because being, being that pastor that you are, you're the one that are leading the sheep mm. to the real route. And guess what I call my pastors to this day? And so guess what I'm going to call you since you're a pastor, mm. coach, because okay. you guys tell us the right play. Appreciate it. Appreciate and that's from the playbook. And what's the playbook? Oh, that's the word of God. That's the Bible. The Bible, exactly. Bible. That's the Bible. That's right. Yeah. So, so where exactly. we at, Coach? Well, right now we are um we are going to kick this off, and we're just going to you know you have you went from you know obviously having a background in sports, playing for the Denver Broncos, you know living a life that so many people just could not even fathom or imagine, and then you know obviously. I'm, I'm watering this down, but then you hit some, some rough spots, you hit some rough patches and now you're, you're preaching the gospel and, and just being an advocate and just literally everywhere you step, you are just a witness uh, to Jesus and you're a, a, a walking testimony to what God can, can do with someone's yes. So right now, I kind of want to just start from, from the beginning, just to say, you know, what was, what was your childhood like? What was your upbringing like? And just kind of just walk us through your, you know, your, your life story. Okay. And may, may I walk through the whole thing? Go right ahead. I may, I may interject with a few questions here and there, but I, I you know, I, I want to hear, I want to hear this because this is, um, I think your, your testimony is going to be uh, a blessing to so many people who are tuning in and listening right now. Okay. Well, the ambulance just drove past where I'm parked at right here. So I'll go ahead and jump in right now. I'm originally from uh, New Jersey. You know where New Jersey is? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We, we've been, I've been there a few times. <laughs> oh yeah. And by the way, it's a good place to be from. Yeah. And folks, how I came about being born in New Jersey is my father was born in New Jersey and my dad had six siblings. And unfortunately, by the time my dad was around six or seven years old, his father ended up getting killed on mm -hmm. a railroad track where he was a part of the group that were building out railroad tracks back in the day. And they didn't say whether he got ran over by a train or he was killed by somebody. But my dad grew up without a father and it got to the point where my dad joined a gang by the time he was going to be going to junior high school, but he ended up getting kicked out of junior high school. So he lived in the streets pretty much, even though he lived with his mom, he hung out in the streets and it got to the point where my father being a part of this gang, they were not only stealing or, or, you know, hurting people and taking all their things and the drugs. But the other thing started to happen is these gang members start killing each other. And my father was one of the last gang members on his side alive. And he was forced to go to court and told at the court hearing, Young man, you have a choice. He's already now, guys, I told you, ever since he was around eight or nine years old, now he's almost 19 years old, and he ends up in court facing prison time, and they gave him a choice. You either go to prison or you join United States Service. And so my dad decided to join the Army, and they stationed him out in Fort Huachuca, Arizona. And when he was forced, you know, forced to come out here to Arizona and become a part of the Army out here, it took about eight or nine months when they started allowing those guys to go off site and my dad ended up going to a James Brown concert. And I don't know if you guys remember that name, James Brown. But when he went to this concert, he walked up and saw a young lady sitting inside of a car on his way inside the concert. And he tapped on the window and she rolls the window down. And he introduces himself and says, hi, my name is Eugene. And she says, my name's I'm a Gene. So you got Gene and Gene talking. And he asked her, why aren't you inside the concert? And she says, I'm only 15 years old and they're selling alcohol and I'm not old enough. So they won't let me come in. And my dad is now 20, guys, and she's 15. So instead of going to the concert, he hangs out with that 15-year-old girl all night long. And eventually he finds out where she lives at in Marana, Arizona, and goes to her high school 
and my dad goes to her high school and gets on his knees in the high school gym and proposes to this 15 year old girl. Wow. And she said, yes, I'll marry you, but I have to ask my daddy. So they go back out to the cotton gin yard and he gives them permission. And so my father marries this underage girl and eventually guess who inside ends up inside of her belly. You're looking at him, me. So my dad actually didn't have to go to Vietnam because he was supposed to go to Vietnam. But since he got a, a girl that was a minor pregnant, mm-hmm. he had to sign a release and he didn't have to go to the service. He was able to leave the service because he had this minor pregnant. And that's how it came about being born in New Jersey because he took her back to Jersey. Wow. Can I continue? Oh, please do. Please do. Being back there in Jersey, things went crazy again because my dad went out in the streets, was hanging out with his gang members. My mother ended up bringing me back out to Arizona and my father found out. So he comes back to Arizona and grabs me and my mom and takes us back to New Jersey. And nine months later, my sister was born and it got so hard for my mother that one day she told my dad, listen, if you don't come to Arizona with me and these kids, then we're not going to ever be with you again because I cannot be around you and and I don't want to raise my kids in this neighborhood. So he ends up saying, I love my family. I'll go out to Arizona with you guys. So they all came out to Arizona with me and me and my sister. And it got to the point where there's a saying, you could take the brother out of Jersey, but you can't take Jersey out the brother. Mm. So my dad started hitting the streets in New Jersey. The other thing he started to do was party and drinking. And also he started to abuse my mother. And it got to the point where here my sister and I now, four, five, six years old, and we're getting a, this emotionally traumatized over a father that's beating on my mom to the point where he'd be punching her in the mouth when we'd be driving in the car, sitting in the back seat, and blood would go all over the windshield. My dad was drinking and partying and drugging and doing all types of stuff. So it was very traumatizing growing up as a kid. And I ended up getting to a point where I was so upset as a child growing up around this man, I promised myself I was going to kill him one day mm-hmm. and even planning on going up into the foothills to even commit suicide. I ran away from home when I was a kid and was living downtown Arizona. And my mother and father ended up looking for me. And for some reason, they ended up driving through downtown. And guess who they saw? Me. And they pulled up. And my dad says, son, we've been looking for you. Are you hungry? I said, dad, I'm starving. And he looked at me and said, well, you know where you live at. And he rolled his window back up and drove back home. So this is what I grew up around as a child. And it goes deeper. But if you want to jump into some of those questions, then we can get there too. But this is kind of how it started in my childhood. So I had a lot of trauma in my childhood, thinking somehow when I started to watch sports on television that, you know what, God, I just, and because my mother was a counselor at the church and she was a Sunday school teacher for the minors. And she also was just a woman of God who cooked for the church. So I had a godly mom and an ungodly dad, but I didn't see the same thing happening in my home that I saw inside the church. And so that's the reason why I struggle with my faith, even though I believed in God, even asking God to be famous one day. Hmm. That actually, that actually does kind of lead into one of my, one of my questions. So when you, when you're in a situation like that, so who were your influences at that point? Did you have like an outlet, somebody you could, you could talk to somebody you could lean on? I mean, obviously I know your mother, cause you wanted to be, you know, a, what, what son doesn't want to protect his mother in that case. Right. But so who did you have anybody else you could look up to or reach out to or talk to at that point? That's a really interesting question. And the fact is, because I had no one that I was intimate with that was able to help me deal with the emotional things that I was struggling with, I started to watch sports on television. I wanted to be like those guys. I idolized some of the famous ball players that I'll be sharing here in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Eventually, when we get to the point where I, I idolized those guys to the point where I even saw them playing college ball. And when I was a co- child, wanting to be like them when I grew up. So if it wasn't for watching television and watching sports, thinking somehow I'm going to achieve an identity 
not knowing that you actually don't achieve an identity, you receive one. Mm-hmm. To me, back then, I was just living by my flesh. And the only people I trusted back in those days were my coaches. And so my coaches were telling me what to do. And they were telling me what I had to do was working out. What I had to do was come into practice and the things that I had to do, even at sometimes even kicking me off the team until I did the right thing and then bringing me back. And then my father found out me being in sports. He, one good thing about my dad started to coach me. And so my father started coaching me and then he would make me go to bed at nighttime at eight 30 every single night and told me you better get in bed by eight 30. You cannot be on the telephone after eight o'clock. You better wake your butt up at 5 a.m., 5.30 a.m. and do your chores and homework before you do anything else. And then it got to the point where I became that good athlete where he wouldn't even let me come into the house anymore in the afternoon until I ran for between 40 minutes and an hour because he wanted me to work hard so I could be that good athlete. So that was where I found my hope and my joy at was there being that sports athlete, and I became really good at it. So did did sports always come come to, I mean, obviously it was an outlet for you at this point, but did it always just come natural to you? Or was this something like you really just had to work at? Like you got those kids in school who they don't need to study for the test. They just naturally gifted to them. Like did, did sports come natural to you or was it just, I got to grind to work in and work out? Brother, I think it was a God thing because it came naturally, but I was able to listen to the people that were telling me what to do. And so to me, it was about the grind and the working out and doing everything so that I could be better than those other athletes that I was competing against. And that's the reason why even when I share to this day, I tell those young men, just like the Bible says, if you don't go according to the rules and you're not going to have victory. So even from childhood, we're supposed to go according to the rules as an athlete. So it was always about the sports for me back then. Now, there was one thing that I was doing behind the scenes that even though I promised myself I was never going to be like my dad, I would sneak in their bedrooms, mom and dad's bedroom when they went to work during the day. And after I got out of school, before they came home, I would go into my dad's closet and I noticed a book inside of his closet that I was like, wow, it was called Hustler. I don't know if you guys remember this magazine. And so every single day, guys, for years and years and years, I would open up these new magazines called Hustler, looking at naked women and having thoughts inside of my mind after I saw that. But he also had videos where people were having sex. And so mm-hmm. even though I was a virgin, I was having sex inside of my own mind and my own heart, even as a child for many years. And so I struggled with sex addiction back in then, back then. So sports and sex on my mind and in my heart was the only way I was able to cope with life back then. Otherwise I would end up killing myself. And this was probably around the high school time, right? Or was it still, yeah. this was high school. This okay. was junior, this was, this was elementary school, junior high school, and especially high school, because now I became one of those best, best athletes actually here in Tucson, Arizona in high school in track and field. And I even guys got to the point where I ended up representing the United States of America at the Pan American games for the long jump in the junior Olympics. And I won the gold medal. That's how good of an athlete I was when I was in high school. So one of the things I was going to ask you too, was because, you know, I always try to do my homework before I have, you know, people, people on the podcast. And I saw that you, you won the NCAA championship for, for long jumping in, in 82. And that's what that was one of the things I was I was actually gonna gonna ask you about was you, was was football the main avenue or is it just okay I have options and I just I kind of want to get out of this life like was there like a a preference or one came before the other what did, how did you make that decision track was my preference because mm-hmm. I was really fast and I could beat everybody all the way from junior high school even elementary school and even especially in high school but my dad made me play football. But I was too small to play football for myself in my own mind, but they made me play. But track and field was my sport and the one that I wanted to do. And usually when I share my testimony, I always show people that in 1982, after I ended up actually being 
able to get a scholarship at the University of Arizona. My freshman year in college, I qualified for the finals and was able to go up to Provo, Utah for the NCAA championships. And the night before the finals, they come to my room because I had placed number 14, so I didn't qualify. And they came to my room and said, Mr. Johnson, young man, would you like to jump tomorrow? And I said, I'd love to, but I didn't qualify. They said, well, the 13th place guy was injured and you're welcome to jump tomorrow. And I said, I get to jump against Carl Lewis. Awesome. I'm going to call my mom and tell her. So I called my mom and said, mom, I get to jump against the number one jumper in the world tomorrow, Carl Lewis. And she said, that's great, son. What can I do for you? I said, mom, will you pray for me and ask God to take away my headache because our high blood pressure and where I'm at up here in Provo, Utah, my blood pressure is too high. I don't think I can compete tomorrow. And she said, son, do me a favor. Get off the phone, get on your knees and ask God to take away your headache and tell him you're going to jump for him tomorrow. Hmm. And I said, okay, mom, I got off the phone, guys, hit my knees. I started praying and I said, Lord, if you just take away my head, all of a sudden my headache went away. Hmm. My headache went away. Aspen came and take away your headache that fast. And so wow. the very next day when I'm long jumping, I am jumping all day long and I'm, it's about three or four hours later and I'm on my last final jump. And guess what I remember? That I forgot that I made a promise to God. Hmm. That thought came to my mind on my last jump. You made a promise that you didn't keep. And so I said, oh, I made a promise to God. I'm gonna try harder. So I backed up about 12 inches because I said, I'm going to run a little faster this time. And when I got down to the board to jump, guess how far behind the board I was? 12 inches. Mm. But I jumped anyway. And when I'm up in the air, guys, and literally if the board is almost 12 inches and I'm 12 inches behind the board, I'm literally 24 inches behind where I'm going to land at. And so when I get up in the air, I'm not coming down. And I'm looking around at everybody and everybody's looking up at me. And when I land and they measured, they said, Mr. J Mr. Johnson, you were the 12th place on your last jump, and you just won the NCAA championship. Guys, let me ask you a question, Pastor. Was that Vance or was that God? That was definitely God because I didn't know what that was. Wow. There was no way in the world if wow. I'm already the 13th place person and I'm jumping for the board from the board on every one of my jumps. Now, 12 inches behind the board, ended up jumping further than everybody else, 26 feet, 11 inches, and three quarters. And that's what my measurement was, but add another 24 inches on top of that because that's where I jumped from. And you'll see that I probably broke the world record back then when I was just a freshman in college. So this was God using me, even though I was struggling with a lot of the childhood trauma that I had to endure during my childhood life, struggling a lot, just like I showed you. So sometimes when people are like are in the fire like you like you were describing, when they're in the just in the heart of their their sin and their struggle, like did you were you aware of how self-destructive that behavior was and those choices were, or did it just seem normal, like a coping mechanism, or did it just seem as, as like, how, how did you, were you aware of, of, of the, of the effects of those decisions that, that was going on in your life as a teenager? No, okay. because like I said, I would go to church with my mom on the weekends, Sunday school and everything. But unfortunately, because I was that young kid and my mind was struggling off site because I only went to church for, you know, an hour or so. But the rest of the, the week, I had to go through all the different traumas that I was dealing with. I didn't really have any mentors or I wasn't open because I actually started living a lie and making people think because I was doing good at sports that I didn't need anybody to talk to me. So I really struggled and had nobody to talk to me really that could lead me back then. But just like you, as a pastor, know what the enemy means for evil. One day, God's going to turn out for good. And that's mm -hmm. the reason why the many, many years that I'll be sharing today with you on this podcast people will be able to see how even the things that they've gone through in their life, what the enemy means for evil. And this is all the way from the book of Genesis. God's going to turn out for good. Amen.
I receive that. You're talking to me right now. I receive that. So you are you are in college. Okay, you were at Arizona, right? You make the decision to go to the NFL. Okay. Walk me through draft day. Like what what did that what did that feel like? I mean, you know, obviously you have a, a foundational lord, you but you also like you mentioned, you said that you had these this childhood trauma as well. You are, you are, it is now draft day. Walk, walk me through that. Tell me, because obviously there's people listening to this who are never going to be able to experience and have that feeling. So walk, walk us through, like, what did that feel like on draft day? Well, before I get to draft day, can I tell you another thing that I ended up doing when I was in college? Oh, this is your my, show, brother. Go ahead. Tell yes, me. sir. My, my freshman year, at my freshman year in college, like I told you guys, since I was a child, I had a sexual addiction problem in my heart and my mind, mm -hmm. but I was a virgin until I was a freshman in college. And I ended up actually falling in love with a young lady who was graduating high school. She was a senior and I decided to have sex with her on her graduation in my first year in college. And they didn't have YouTube back then. So I didn't know how to put a condom on. And I ended up going to a store and buying some condoms, but I didn't know how to put one on. And she ends up getting pregnant. And her dad told me to quit football, quit track and marry his daughter and raise that young baby. And I told him pretty much F you. I don't cuss anymore, guys. But I you know, told him that I had goals and dreams. And so he told me, then you ever, you can never see my daughter again. So mm -hmm. I cheated on her and got another young girl pregnant. So my first two times having sex when I was a freshman in college, I got two young ladies pregnant. And eventually it got to the point where I abandoned both those kids. I was not in any of their lives because I was that self-righteous person and wanting to be famous ever since I was a child, not knowing how to be a dad, not knowing how to be a father because I didn't grow up around one showing me how to be that. Now it's just about being great. So eventually when I get a chance playing running back all my career, and now I'm on a senior in, in college, we get to the scouting combine, and they look at me and say, Mr. Johnson, you're too small to play running back in the NFL. You might want to try a wide receiver. And I was like, but I've never played wide receiver. And I met a guy by the name of Randall Cunningham. You guys need to Google this guy because he actually ended up playing 17 years in the NFL. But now him and I are the same age. We're going to be drafted in the NFL. And Randall Cunningham, I talked to him because we're friends, and he says, listen, why don't you just follow Jerry Rice? I'll throw you the pass, Vance, and that way the NFL is going to compare you to Jerry Rice. And then when you get a chance to run the 40 meters, stand next to him, and if you get a chance to beat him, then even though you won't get drafted high like him, then at least you're going to get drafted. Wow. And because of me listening to Randall Cunningham, I did exactly what he told me to do. And then when I ran against Jerry Rice, I ended up beating him running 418, 419 in the 40 meters. And on draft day, because I was going to probably get drafted between the ninth and 11th round, I ended up getting drafted second pick in the second round by the Denver Broncos. And these days that would have been the first round because they actually added a couple more teams to the NFL. So that's how I was blessed by that guy, Randall Cunningham. And I can't wait to tell you what Randall is doing to this day because he played 17 years in the NFL. And guess what Randall is doing to this day for the last almost 14 years. So I've been, I started following him recently on, on Instagram. Uh, I've been, and I, I think his, I, and his church also as well. I'd love to actually. Yes, I'll on. let your pastor tell you what that pastor is doing these days. What is he now? A pastor? Yeah. 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 And that's the reason why I even call him coach. And we're friends to this day. But when I got drafted, you know, I flew out to Denver, Colorado now being that, you know, just uh, in my early twenties. And like I said, I had already been to those two kids. But when I landed in Denver, Colorado, I figured I finally made it. I am who all I wanted to be. And it's like trying to say that, you know what? If I work hard as, if I, as I need to, I'm going to achieve my identity to me in my own eyes because I was living in my flesh back then, guys. I became who I thought I needed to be. And when I got to Denver, Colorado, 
on my fourth and final preseason game, which I think that's where they are right now at the fourth and final preseason game in the seasons. We were playing against the San Francisco 49ers, and it's the last play of the game, and all I got to do is catch a punt. And when the ball's coming down, I'm looking at the ball thinking, you know what? They got video cameras and television all over the country watching this game, so I'm going to catch the ball with my eyes shut. But I decided to just catch the ball because it's the last play, and I end up fumbling the ball. San Francisco wins, and my teammates and my coaches said, you're probably going to get cut tomorrow. And by the time we got out to Denver the next day, the first time I ever in my entire life, now here I am in my early 20s, I had a drink and I started drinking alcohol and I didn't even get cut. And so I became an alcoholic on day one. I started smoking weed with these young ladies that I was also having sex with. So here I am. And the only time I was having any joy is when I was out there on the football field. But off the field, I still struggle with the trauma, the childhood trauma that I grew up around. So my only happiness was when I was on the field playing football and making winning touchdowns, guys, like against the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> you had to throw that last part in there. You had to throw that last part in there. <laughs> yep, I had to throw that in there. That was my only hope, my only joy. But off the field, Cleveland Brown fans, Vance was struggling. Right. I want to just take this time right now to actually just really thank you for your transparency already, because that is what, that's what this podcast is for. Like we you know, our, our God can work all things together for the good of those who love him. And these, when people are on here sharing their testimonies and their life stories, we, I want people to hear the ugly. I want them to hear like, this is where I was. This is where I'm at right now. Then look at where God is, is taking me and what, what we're doing. You know, every, you know, there's a blessing in every testimony for the person who grew up in the church and God protected them from things like some of the stuff that you went through and I went through. There's power in every testimony every every kind so i just want to thank you right now just for your your transparency um i do want to ask you two questions as far as the the denver broncos go because i've never i've never been in a in a football locker room so because i know that you said you started drinking and doing drugs so what was the locker room atmosphere atmosphere like in in denver you don't have to mention names you don't want to i'm just i'm just curious like how common was it well one what was the locker room like and number two how common was it that there were people just intoxicated before, during, and after, after, after games? You know, it's a really interesting question right there, brother. And I appreciate that question because inside the locker room, the majority of the ball players would be hanging out with each other. And obviously we were going to be going out on the field and I'd hang around the main ones that guess who I was hanging around with off the field. And I'm not going to mention certain names, but the majority of the ball players, there would only be two or three on the entire team that would not come hang out with us. But the majority of us would go to strip clubs. Mm. We would go to nightclubs. We would go to parties. We would just be doing all types of stuff. And I'm going to even tell you what I did in my own house. What do they call that? An orgy? What do they call it when there was a number of guys coming to your house and having sex with women? Mm. Did they call that an orgy back in the day? Yes. I would have women come into my house and my teammates over there, some of my teammates, and we all would be having sex with these women. So there are a lot of things happening off the field that people aren't hearing about. A lot of those athletes in their 20s are out there just, you know, enjoying and living life in their flesh, but really struggling. And so that's the type of thing that I, I will be doing with my teammates. And we would just be hanging out together. I'm going to tell you something that happened even up against the Kansas City Chiefs one time. And I don't really necessarily share this when I'm on stage, but me and my teammates were at a strip club the night before playing against the Kansas City Chiefs. And we ended up bringing some strippers back to the hotel with us. Now, I ended up finding out later that they got there and they woke me up and everybody's in line and having sex with these prostitutes upstairs inside the hotel in Kansas. And eventually it got to the point where they, were, they ran out of condoms, so I couldn't get in line to get one of those girls. 
and the girls end up going out in the hallway and they're screaming and yelling because they don't want to have sex with any more guys because they don't want to get pregnant because there's no more condoms. And the owner of the Denver Broncos found out about it. And the mm -hmm. very next morning, they called a staff meeting before the game against the Chiefs. And when the owner walked in, all the ball players that were upstairs were had to be inside that meeting. And when he walked in, he looked and he saw that starter playing that position, that starter, that starter, that starter, that starter. I can go on and on with how many starters were in there. And that owner looked and he thought to his own mind, we're going to lose. And so guess what he says to us? Never mind, this never happened. And he walked out. Ooh. That's the type of thing that's happening, guys. It's not just what you see on the field. Off the field is the truth. You only see in the edited version on the field. This is why I, and I mean, on a small, much smaller scale, but this is why I encourage people that you have to have the right people in your life because bad company corrupts good character, right? But at the same time, you need people who are going to hold you accountable because sometimes we're only, you know, obedient uh, to a certain level, you know? So um, we're only obedient sometimes to our level of willingness or even understanding, you know, or even to our flesh versus having that godly accountability and that godly standard. So, um, you know, so it's, that was actually one of my questions was what was, what was it like as far as like, what, what did ownership even, even do, or was there any kind of like team, team captains, team leaders who said, look, we, if we want to be successful, we have to change our behavior off the field. Like, was there anyone, and you don't have to name anyone. Was there anyone who was, who was doing or saying that at the time? Well, there was really only one person that was doing and saying that because, and I'm going to just throw this out there. If you're winning every game and you're coming back and you end up going to three Super Bowls, why mm -hmm. would you want to tell a player you need to stop drinking? You Because mm -hmm. we were winning. So they didn't care what you were doing. However, Coach Dan Reeves was my head coach mm -hmm. and I was pretty transparent with him. And so sometimes he would bring me to his office at 530 a.m. in the morning and get in my face about the different things that he knew and he heard when the cops were showing up at my house because of my domestic violence issues, because of me getting pulled over by the cops. He would do everything he can to try to encourage me to stop being that person off the field. And I would lie to him and go back out and do the same thing. And then it got to the point where, you know, Coach Reeves just really wanted to make sure that Vance was doing the right thing. So he would bring me to the game, guys, a few hours early so that he would make me go and urinate inside of a cup inside of the bathroom. And sometimes I'd be so hungover after the night before I would take one of my teammates in there and I'd stick the cup over near their thing and let them pee in the cup for me so that I didn't get busted. But this is how transparent I need to be with all of you because the very thing that I was going through with all the sins that I was living in, literally dating and marrying women who were actually even possessed by demons. And one girl was uh, a witch that I ended up marrying. And I need to tell you this too. During my career, I ended up getting three women pregnant at the same time, at the same time. I had my second wife that I married in the NFL pregnant. I had a woman I was cheating with that was a whore pregnant. And I had another man's wife that I slept with one night pregnant. So this is how this sinful man was living off the field. But on the field was the only time I had happiness and joy. And off the field, I just lived by my flesh. And the Bible says, we don't walk by the flesh. We walk by the spirit. Because I was just gratifying my desires of my flesh in the pride of life in the desires of the eyes. I didn't even know all these things, Pastor, until after I ended up getting saved many, many years later. But I just wanted to share that now that I was living because I was of the world. And the Bible says, if you're of the, if you're of the world, then you're not of God. But mm -hmm. I was of the world. It was all about me and doing the things of the world. And that's how I was back in the day. But God's grace, love, and mercy is for every single person, even listening to this podcast, because he would hope that all would come to the hope and truth in Christ Jesus. 
And so we'll get to that point, but we got a lot further to go before I got there. Yeah, that's what I was I was going to ask because, you know, we, we've talked about, and let me know how we're doing. Let me know how we're doing on, on time here. Um, because we talked about, obviously, drugs, alcohol, sexual addiction. So what was the rock bottom point for you? Like when, when was it just like, okay, I, I have no further to go. I have no further to, to fall here. So here I am now guys with my seventh wife mm. and I moved to the Western slope of Colorado. I walked away from the NFL. I opened up a restaurant with my name on it. I have my seventh wife. I'm cheating on her. It got to the point where my parents, who were still married, ended up coming to, Ar to Colorado and taking from Arizona to Colorado and taking over my restaurant, which was called Vance Johnson's Outlaw Ribs, because I was struggling with my addictions. And it got to the point where my oldest son, my second oldest son, came up to live with me because I had abandoned all of my other kids. And by this time, I have seven kids. My son came. He was going to college. I decided to spend time with him, put him in college there. And he reached out to me one day because he needed to go see his mom because his mom's mom, dad had just died of cancer. And I told my son, well, give me a call later on tonight and I'll see what I can do because his car broke down. And my son gives me a call, but since I'm being a whore and get ready to have sex with another woman, I don't answer the, the phone on my call, the call on my cell phone for my son. So my son ends up having to go take a motorcycle across the mountain. And that very night, my son got killed. My son got killed by a drunk driver that night. And so I started blaming myself when my son got killed because I wouldn't take him like he asked me to. And I started to drink more and use more drugs. I called my mom one night and told my mom I was going to die because I was just screaming. And she ends up taking me to the hospital. They have to induce me because I OD'd at the front doorstep of the hospital. They had to induce me into a coma. I ended up in a 28-day coma. 28 days. On day 24, they told my family, go say goodbye to Vance. Fly your family members out because Vance's body shut down and he's not going to live. So my sister flew out. And I normally, when I share my testimony, I let people, I say, show that photo of me and my deathbed in that coma. And the doctor told my mother and everyone that Vance is going to die. And my mom told the doctors, this is my godly mom telling the doctor, God's not done with my son yet. And everybody looked at her like she was crazy. And on day 28, my eyes opened. And when my eyes opened up, I saw my mother and the doctors and everything. And I said, can I ask you guys a question? Did this ex-wife and this ex-wife come and say goodbye to me? And one of them was crying over me. And they said, yes, Mr. Johnson. But what are you talking about? You were in a coma. And I said, did Pastor so-and-so come and pray over me? And this pastor pray over me? And they said, yes, sir, Mr. Johnson. What are you talking about? But you were in a coma. Those two pastors prayed over you, but you never even met those pastors. Guys, that's mm -hmm. when I tell people there is a spirit inside of us. That's right. And so in my deathbed, in my deathbed, the spirit man inside of me saw the people that were visiting me at the hospital saying goodbye to me. And it got to the point where after I left the hospital, I was fine for a few months, but then I started to relapse and drink again and have sex. And just, I started driving through a Canyon one day, driving, just screaming out to God guys to save me, just screaming out to him to save me because I couldn't save myself. And like you said, when did it happen? When did you hit rock bottom? I was at rock bottom right there. All of a sudden my seventh ex-wife who had not seen me in almost 11 months on her heart, she was a Christian woman who I had lied to, but she ended up having to leave me. She told the NFL to reach out to me because she knew that I was struggling with addiction and I was probably going to die. And I hadn't talked to her for almost 11 months. And this was right after I was screaming and crying out to God when I was driving through the canyon in Colorado. And then a former Tampa Bay Buccaneer by the name of Randy Grimes reaches out to me and says, Vance, 
I just want to reach out to you, let you know that your ex-wife contacted the NFL and we hear that you're struggling, man. I need to get you into treatment. And I said, yes, but how would you guys even know this? And I said, in fact, I don't even have any money because I'm a million dollars in debt. And the NFL said, we're going to pay for you to go to treatment, Mr. Johnson. And that's when the Lord allowed me to go out to Florida to go to a treatment program. And when I got to that treatment program, I'm sitting inside there. And after about 13 days, I'm fine. I just want to go back home. I don't want to be around these losers who to me are drug addicts and crackheads and alcoholics and homeless people because I'm still self-righteous, even mm-hmm. though God is still having grace on me. And I'm standing outside getting ready to walk and climb over the fence and then leave, walk to the airport just so I can get out of there. And I heard a voice inside of my head. And I ended up having to Google this guy just a few years ago so I can promise everybody that this is true. A voice inside of my head said, go back in and listen. And I was like, "Who? I don't talk to myself like that. And right across the street, and I can even send you a snapshot of that, there was a church with a cross on top of it. And I said, that must have been God. So when I went back in, I was given the recovery Bible. They start taking me to church on Sundays. And I start reading scripture. And the first scripture I opened up for the first time in my life was the Proverbs 14, 12, where it says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but his pathway leads to death. And so just like I told you guys, I did what when, since I was young, what I thought was right. And where did I end up at? In my deathbed. Mm-hmm. So that pathway led me to my deathbed. And then in the book of Hebrews is where I really started to see how even Jesus Christ, who had to die for our sins, even though he had to die for us in his, uh, when he was, you know, in his ministry, the, you know, people were trying to kill him. The Jewish people were trying to kill him. And so it says that Hebrews 5, 7, that he cried out to the one that could save him from death. And it says he was heard because of his reverence. What was the very thing I said I was doing when I ended up getting that intervention? I was driving through the canyon, crying out to God. Mm. And then it said he learned obedience through the things that he had to suffer in Hebrews 5, 6. And so that's exactly what I started to learn when I was there in treatment, that you need to learn obedience through the things you're suffering through. Because God, through Christ Jesus, is the only way that you're going to hold on to your recovery. And that's why I made a promise to God that when I left treatment for the rest of my life, it would n- never be advanced again, except for the very platform the advance fell off of, God was going to use to offer the hope to glorify Christ Jesus who nailed all of our sins and addictions to the cross. And to this day, coming up on nine years of recovery, there is only one thing I live for in this life, and that's my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Is, and do I have that right? Is that nine years of sobriety? How, or is that Nine it? years of sobriety this year. Got it. Okay. Got it. okay. So that that actually led me into, is, is that one of the, is I because I, I have a, a verse that I always stand on, and it's it's Ephesians 4, 20 through 24, talking about the putting off and, and putting on. And so is, is that the verse that really kind of like you stand on, like some people call it their life verse, you know, is that kind of the thing that you stand that helps even remind you to this day of, of things to get through, or that you can get through it, excuse me. Every single day, brother, because we're supposed to pick up, wake up every morning and put, put on our cross. And right. to me, I take that in a way that says that we need to learn to every single day to test our faith and to deny our flesh always because the devil is going to always try to tempt us. And that's why the devil knows who are his. So he don't even have to mess with them. He wants to mess with the church body. And that's the reason why there's even so much division, even within the church these days. And obviously, there's a lot of false teachings out there and stuff like that. But we pray for our brothers and sisters in the faith because we want them to just come to the hope and truth in Christ. So every single day, I'm in God's word, probably 40 to 60 hours a week. And the only thing I do now is I go out and talk to the homeless. I go do interventions on people, even if they're in the hospitals, if loved ones want me to do that. They're welcome to fly me out to another part of the state to just do an intervention. And so I'm not here to boast, but I even help out the homeless whenever I can. 
And I just want to just really honor God in everything that I do. And that's why it's all about Jesus Christ and leading those to the hope and truth in him so that they would go get treatment, mental illness, whatever they're dealing with. I even got reached out to by a guy who handles all the NFL former ball players issues that need to get into treatment. And he asked me to get another guy, another NFL ball player. And I won't mention his name mm-hmm. in the treatment just this morning, just before I came on with you. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you, after sharing so much of, of your life story, you are now an, an advocate for, for sobriety. So the NFL is, and I'm, I'm a football fan. And just like, I'm sure a lot of people who are listening today, they're, they're football fans. And it's, it's a brutal game, no matter what they try to do with the rules. It's a physical game. I mean, you're going to get hit. So what advice would you have for athletes today to deal with that pain so they don't have to, well, deal with the pain, not taking pills, drugs, alcohol, um, even using, even trying to numb the pain through lust, television, what overeating, whatever the, the addiction is, because you and I both know addiction is more than just drugs and alcohol. We can get addicted to any number of things. How, what advice would you give the players today on dealing with that, with the actual physical pain of, of the NFL today? And before I answer that question, I want to just let everyone that's listening know on this podcast that this is the spirit of God talking through this pastor because I've been gone away from Arizona now for over 30 years. And I got back this year for the first time in, in the last couple of days, I just got contacted by the very college that I went to and Mm -hmm. I'm in the Pima County hall of fame. And they asked me the heads of the football team asked me, Mr. Johnson, will you please come this Friday to talk to our ball players so that you can share with them, the very thing that just came out of your pastor's mouth. Mm-hmm. How can I tell them that they need to not do these certain things and how I can encourage them and how it's going to really affect their lives? And they said, in fact, Mr. Johnson, please come tell them because we know how to train them on the football field, but off the field, how can we help these young men know that one day they're going to grow up and be a father? One day they're going to grow up and be a, uh, a husband. How can we encourage them that they need to focus on those things rather than those things that the pastor, what you just mentioned, that there's that they actually are struggling with when they're not there on the practice field. And that's what I'll be doing this very week is talking to those young men and letting them know that when they're not practicing on the field, doesn't mean that the game is over with. They need to be focusing on their education. They need to be not focusing on the things of the flesh, which are the different nightclubs and the places that now that they're at that age, that they're able to go and drink legally around the university of Arizona to not gamble money because some of us, when we get a scholarship, they give us a certain amount of money every month mm-hmm. to not go to the dog track and the horse track and start gambling on your cell phones. Don't start looking at pornography. There's strip clubs around there that I used to go to when I was in college. And so I'm going to encourage all these young men to do that. And I'm going to tell them, you may not have had a father that told you this when you were growing up, but I'm going to tell you right now. And I'm going to start out in the beginning of my testimony, asking them, anybody want to grow up to be a famous football player in the NFL like me and, Hall of Fame and all this. That's how I'm going to make them raise their hands in the beginning. So at the end, I'm going to say, so is anyone willing to take my advice today about what I just now told you? Because I want to be like a father to you so that you can have that success that I have, but not have to live the life that I had to live. And that way you guys can be successful after your career, whether you make it to the NFL or NBA or whatever, instead of doing the things that I did in my struggles. And it's going to be, I'll be talking obviously for over an hour to them. So Thank you so much, Pastor, for that, because that's the very thing that I was asked to come share what came out of your mouth with all these student athletes here at the University of Arizona in Tucson, Arizona, in a couple of days. You know, you you kind of just answered my next question, but for the sake of the audience, I'm going to ask this anyway. So let's say 
I'm addicted to drugs. I am I am addicted to to alcohol. One, why should I call Vance Johnson? And then two, what would you tell me to do? Because specifically, because like you said, we 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 don't want to have the pills, the alcohol, those and do other things. What are those other things? So tell me, give me give me a little bit more um, behind that. So what 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 can I expect from that phone call? If I'm talking to you. Well, what I like to encourage people to do, and first I'll tell you what I do now. So celebrating my nine years of recovery, I work and I'm actually an ambassador at a program called America's Rehab Campuses here in Tucson, Arizona. And I've been in this space ever since I got clean. And being their ambassador, what I do is I do interventions. I have people reach out to me at my bandsinspires.org mm -hmm. website, and they're able to reach out to me and I'll talk to loved ones. I'll get on the phone with them and encourage them, talk to them and listen to their stories so they can kind of just give me the background of some of the stuff that they're struggling with. I'm willing to do in-person interventions with them so I can also find out whether or not they might be dealing also with some type of mental illness so I can know what type of program I can get them into because it's not just about getting them into America's rehab campuses here where I work at, which that's what I do on a daily basis. I ask people to come into our program, but wherever they are in the country, I tell them to reach out to me and actually just up in Ohio, not too far away from you, I actually had a chance to get somebody into a treatment program up there not too long ago. So I just really want people to just be real transparent with me and I'm willing to talk to them and their loved ones so I can offer any type of hope that I can by listening to their stories and knowing that I can lead them into the right way that they can end up getting help. And being that man of God, we know that all we do is plant seed and water and prayerfully God's going to bring that increase. Though I know the answer to this question, I ask every guest this question, or at least I think I know the answer just based off some of the things you told me. I don't want to, I don't want to assume anything. Why do you do what you do? Why I do what I do? Because it was my calling. Mm. In fact, it's all scriptural. When you look at Magdalene and when you look at the Apostle Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul, the things that he did to even persecute the church, he was called and said that his ministry now is just going to be leading those to the way. And we know the way is Christ. Right. And that's the very promise that I made God. So that's the only thing I want to do for the rest of my life. And this is my calling. So everything that I had to go through and endure in life was so that I could be who I am today to be that light so I can offer people the hope. It's no longer about me, Christ in me, to share the hope with everybody. I hope that answers your question. No, you did, because Jesus had to open Paul's eyes. I mean, he he had to, that's why they called it the Damascus Road, you know, that he had that encounter there. So no, thank you for sharing it. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So you you have a book called Uncovered. And so talk to me about some of the things that you you go, you uh you discuss and go over in that book. And if you have time to explain what was the process like of getting that book published? A lot of people listening to this podcast are interested in writing books and putting their story out there. So what what is that process like? So I guess that's twofold. Well, it's all about that testimony. Mm -hmm. And the process there is my book, Vance, you know, uh, Uncovered, The 12 Yards Between Rock Bottom and Victory. Literally, if you go to my website, vanceinspires.org, uh, my book's going to be on there. And the process, though, is make sure you get a good book writer. Because, see, I could have found just a secular book writer to write my book. And I could they could have just helped me write a really good book for this athlete. And it probably would have sold a lot of copies. But being that man of God, I only use scripture throughout my book, which if people want to get my book, they'll see how everything that I've talked about with you today is going to be in my book, but it goes even deeper. And I would just encourage people to find that good book writer. And if you ever want, Pastor, I'll send you over the link to this lady because she is one of the number one book writers in America mm. and actually uh, one of the best-selling authors up there starting in New York and all over the country and even travels around the world, world writing books for people. 
So you want to find someone that's going to write the book and be able to sit down with you and talk with you and not just you send them a couple pieces of writings and let them write the book in a way that's going to attract people's minds, but literally let that person know who you are. Mm-hmm. And that's why her and I spent a couple of years together before we even published the book. And the book actually has been republished now. And it just came out just over, over the last few weeks. No, I, yeah, please send me that info, especially as long as she's okay with it. We'll, you know, we'll put it, we'll put it out there. I will put the link um, in the post and and put that everywhere where we're sharing this podcast. So um, how much time do you have left? You got time for two more questions? Uh, yeah, because I was supposed to be at that program by, um, well, yeah, I got, I got a few minutes. All right. About, uh, yeah, I got a couple minutes. All right. So that brings us to our, um, our, our, our final segment, which I always, this is my favorite part of the show is called let them know. Is there anything that you like to just let the audience know Vance, you got a great story. I want to thank you for just coming on here today, sharing your testimony, being a, a witness to Christ. I want to thank you for your guests. What would you like to let our audience and our listeners know today? I want everybody listening today to know that God loves them so much and his word. He says he would has the hope that all would come to the hope and truth and knowledge in Christ Jesus. And so Whatever you've had to go through in your life, whatever you're enduring to this day is all on purpose because God said, those I love, I test. And so even though the devil is the God of this age, he literally, God is going to use you to offer hope to somebody else. So I want every single person on there to know that God wants to use them to go out and share the hope with everybody. So that that day of judgment, when he seats, when everyone's sitting down, because Christ said, I'm coming back with my angels and it's going to be the judgment day. And everybody needs to be have done something so that they can show that they actually are that one that was a believer. And it doesn't say that you're going to get to heaven by your works, but because of who you are, that new creation, now it's all about doing the work for the Lord. And that's the reason why I want everyone listening to me right now today, just glorify God in all that you do in your body. And that's day and night. Amen. That's good. Thank you, Vance, so much for that. And I'm going to end on a football question. So Every single, and I just, I want to thank you because if God, um, before I get to that last question, you know, they call it the great commission, right? God did not commission us to do something he did not equip us to do. So he's already given us everything we need to just get out there and do the things that he's already put. It's in us to get out there and do it. We just have to be obedient and just trust the spirit. And I think that's exactly what you, that you've displayed that over and over and over again. So I just want to thank you for your yes. I want to thank you for even doing the show today. And just thank you for taking the time. I know that you are a very busy man. So just thank you. Thank you for taking my phone calls, my emails. I, I appreciate you. You have no idea. Um, Brother, praise God. In fact, uh, you had another question or you want to pray us out? I'm going to ask I'm going to ask my last question and I promise I'll pray us out. So every Denver Broncos player or former Denver Broncos player I've ever talked to has a broken finger John Elway story. <laughs> From what I understand, this man throws a football like a bullet. <laughs> so... There is, I mean, you were one of his top targets for years. You know, you were part of the three amigos. You got to have a broken finger, a broken hand, or John Elway injury story from catching a pass. Anything you want to share about Mr. Elway before we take off today? I do. In fact, is this going to be on video or just on audio? It's going to be on video, except for hopefully not my shiny head. I don't know. I probably should have done something about that before I got on here. (laughs) Okay. Well, watch this. So John Elway threw the ball so hard, guys. They call it the Elway cross. But look what he did to my thumb. Oh my goodness. It's like yes. it's, and look it, what he did to my and look what he did to my, my finger. And I'm just gonna assume that since you guys aren't gonna apologize to driver the fumble, he didn't apologize for breaking your hands, did he? Well, watch this. John threw the ball so hard 
that one time back in the day when I used to be the old Vance, I would cuss John out and tell him to quit throwing the ball so effing hard. And he would look at me and say, you know what, Vance? Instead of you dislocating your fingers like I do to you almost every game, I'm going to throw the ball softer so that way they can just knock your neck off when you get tackled. And I said, okay, never mind, John, because I would rather have a dislocated finger than my dislocated neck off my head. So John Elway actually, by the way, if you guys can pray for John Elway, because I've even heard some things about him and struggling even off the field like a number of other guys. I even had a chance to meet with Tampa Bay Buccaneer Tom Brady because mm. I was uniform inspector for the NFL out at Raider Stadium when they played out there. And Tom Brady, guys, he's not good off the field. He struggles when he's off the field. He's only happy on the field. Mm. We'll definitely lift him up. Thank you so much for 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 that. And um, yeah, I'll go ahead and I'll pray us out and um, we'll, we'll lift them up too. So Vance, thank you again. And I'll I'll gladly I'll go ahead and I'll pray us out and I'll let you get on with the rest of your days. I know you got, I know you got uh much work to do today. So Father God, I just want to um I just want to thank you for um for this time today, Lord. I thank you for my brother and his his yes. But I thank you for just, you know, we come before you the spirit of thanksgiving. I thank you for everything you're doing in us and through us. Lord, your word says, bless the feet of those who bring the good news. So I just pray that you just continue to just bless Vance and his ministry. I pray you just open up doors for him, Father. Open up eyes and ears for him, Lord. And I just, I thank you for the testimony that he is sharing with so many people. And I thank you for the lives that is going to be changed from the work you're doing in him and through him, Lord. I pray your traveling mercies over him. And I just pray your blessings over everyone who has listened to this podcast, Lord. And from the moment they press play to the moment that they stop this recording, that they are not the same. They have been encouraged by you, uplifted by you, inspired by you, that they have been changed by the blood and the work of Christ to just go out and do the very thing they've been afraid to do that you've now encouraged them to do. We know your word is alive and we know your word is just burning inside of these, of these individuals who are listening today, Father. So I thank you for the testimony that's going to come from the people who are listening to this podcast and the people they're going to go impact, Lord. I just thank you that you are not done yet. I thank you that we are all more than conquerors, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world, Father. And I just thank you, Lord, and that we're going to claim back any surrender ground of the enemy and that we're going to walk in purpose, Father. I thank you for these things in Jesus' mighty name. We pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you so much, brother. I really appreciate this opportunity to share with you and all those listeners. Thank you. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it.